talk a little bit about culture and Christianity and how often we confuse those two things or how easily they get confused and how disruptive that confusion can be. I love the fact that we are in a church that is multicultural. I was talking yesterday to a friend of mine in Colorado and he's a pastor of a church and we, I was talking about what I wanted to preach about and I was, I was telling him about our church and how many different cultures we have and different languages and he said, John, I'm so envious. He says, my church has one culture. All of them are white, American, Baptists and Republicans. That's what he said, that's what he said. He said, I miss my old church where there were so many different cultures. I want you to look at a picture that kind of speaks in a sense. Uh, you know that picture of a white Jesus? Or just, for many of us, just, just a Jesus. You know, we look at that picture and almost all of us go, yeah, that's... That's Jesus. Okay, let's look at another picture of another Jesus. How do you feel about that? I mean, the truth is, all of us look at a certain picture and, and it says things to us. Some of those things we just take for granted. I mean, I mean, here's the truth. Growing up, I would never look at a picture of a white Jesus and go, that's not right. But the truth is I'd look at a picture like that and go, that's not right. Let's put those two pictures side by side. Now, this, here's the truth, is that neither of those pictures is an accurate portrayal of what Jesus would have looked like. In fact, if you really want to know what Jesus probably looked like, think of, of Lee's kind of complexion and his facial structure and, and, you know, and his skin color and, and Andy's hair. <laughs> that probably. But, but here's the thing. I know so many Christians that wouldn't be offended by the picture on the right, even though it's inaccurate, but would be offended by the picture on the left because it's inaccurate. I also know people who have become offended the other way around because of what? Cultural dynamics. Because whether we like it or not, all of us have a culture. In fact, Nobody grows up without a culture. You can't grow up without a culture. In fact, some cultures are, are easier for us to see and define, but the truth is every single one of us grows up, not just in one culture, but in lots of cultures. So this is what a culture is. A culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. Culture is the ideas, customs, and social behavior 
of a particular group or society. Here's the thing, we often think of the, the last two as being culture. We forget that ideas are also a culture. In fact, the way we think is cultural. Our society loves being logical. Every husband and wife, come on, be logical. And she can't respond with be emotional. But there's a culture clash going on there. Because one says, well, logic will solve this thing. Another says, I can't think about it like that because it won't solve the thing. Folks, as we enter this new year, as we begin to do what God has called us to, be, to do, to be transformed in ourselves, to transform as a church, and to transform our community around us, we need to understand how culture is going to influence us and how the kingdom of God needs to influence, influence us. This is not a new thing. The early church struggled deeply with this, and the reason why is because Christianity came out of a single culture. It came out of the Jewish culture. And so kind of everybody was going, well, yeah, no, this is like just an extension of Judaism. And then those early apostles realized it's not. And so then they had to go out and start speaking to people who were not like them, who had some gross customs they ate food that wasn't good and, and maybe sometimes they did things at table that um, were offensive or not offensive. And they had to go, Jesus belongs here too. And we have to do that. We have to be a, a people that say, God has called us especially in our country especially in our neighborhood, especially in our world where you can go from one culture to another in a couple of hours, to understand how culture and Christianity can become confused and damage each other and how they can help one another. So Paul is writing to the Corinthians, one of these new churches where there are, where there are Greeks and there are Romans and there are Jews and all sorts of cultures together. And here he says something in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in, the, in what you say and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, another, I follow Christ. And then we go a little bit further down to verse 20. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, 
but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And then down to verse 30, if it is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul unpacks a whole lot of issues around culture and what the believers in Corinth can begin to do and how they can begin to think that will help them to get past their various cultures in order to bring the kingdom of God into their own fellowship and into the world around us. I think it'll be good for us to just for a moment look back and think about our own cultures. Just think about this. What are the ideas, customs, and social behaviors of your group? I can't think of them for you. I'm gonna give a few examples a little bit later on of, of, of how my culture influences. But, but this morning, I, I want us to think about how we think and how we were taught to think and how we act and how we were taught to act. Not just your culture, but your cultures. I mean, I have an overarching culture. My culture is white, Western, South African. Mm, a bit Afrikaans, a bit English. I grew up in places like Vereniging and Leidenburg, and I went to school in Johannesburg, Witts University. And all of those things affect how I think how I think about church. It's why you are at this church. Because you have a certain church culture. And you go to another church, and depending on whether you're feeling grumpy with us or not, you think that other church is wonderful. And then you discover all the little subculture things that are going on, and now you don't like it so much anymore. Or, or, you, or you go to another church where you expect it to be different. And then it's not awkward to worship like Lee had us worshiping there because we've expected it to be different and hey, these oaks worship like that anyway. And so we get into it and all of a sudden it's okay. What's going on? Our cultures and our subcultures. I'm getting into, the youth are influencing me. I've got pineapple socks on this morning that don't match my outfit. Because the youth have started buying me socks with pictures on. They're initiating me a little bit into their culture of weird sockness. I'm not going to ever wear socks with slops. I'm just telling you now.
you are part of a culture. Accept that. You are part of a culture. You can never say, I'm not. You can never say, my culture is not influencing me. It always is. You can't function without a culture. Because if there was no culture, the world would just be chaotic. And you see that when cultures clash, how often it becomes chaotic. Should we do it this way or should we do it that way? And wars are fought over things like that. You cannot function without a culture. You have a culture and cultures. Culture and religion are always woven together. Culture and religion are always woven together. We may be the first generation that's going to see people who have no religion connected to their culture. If you go to some Scandinavian countries and and talk to some people about Jesus, they literally have no idea what you're talking about. And if you ask them what their religion is, they don't know. They have no religion. Now you can go to another culture and they still don't know who Jesus is, but their religion and their culture are tied together. And that's gonna create real, real issues around how do we evangelize people who have no connection between culture and religion? Where they think that religion is, you may as well be talking about aliens. We have to learn to do it. But understand, for most of our lives functioning, our religion and our culture are woven together. And it's important for us to know that. It's so important to know that because all cultures present dangers to us. You see, here's the thing. Cultures are cultures. They have negatives and they have positives. And they're parts of every one of our cultures that is good and wholesome and helps us to function well. And we should embrace them. And then there are parts of our culture and other cultures that are damaging that work against God and against the kingdom and against goodness and righteousness. And we must learn to understand which they are. Here's the problem. It's so much easier to see the negatives of other cultures than it is of our own. It's so much easier to see the problems in other cultures than to see our own because we've grown up with our culture. We're just so used to it. That's the way it happens. That's the way it's done. And so we just have to learn that cultures will present dangers for us, especially in the zone of we don't know why it's like that. It just feels right. Some songs just feel more worshipful, don't they? They're not. So I I have in my life group some Indian folk. Now, Indian music is hard to understand. They use a different scale to us. It's weird. It doesn't always sound great to my ear. But here's what's happening. One or two folk have been posting 
videos of worship songs that I know played in an Indian style, and it's pretty awesome. What's happening to me? My, my ear is becoming attuned to that through something I know. And so we'll walk into church, for example, and go, I didn't like that. And then our next step is that's not godly. <laughs> no, it may not be godly, but I didn't like it because I didn't feel comfortable with it. It didn't feel right. And I don't know why. I still feel uncomfortable when I see somebody putting their knife and fork down like that at the end of a meal. Does anybody know why it's good manners to put your knife and fork together at the end of a meal? I mean, objectively, does anybody know? Pardon? Oh, so that the waiter can know to take the plate away. So it has nothing to do with objectively this is good or bad. Somebody could have chosen the sign like this. <laughs> and 10 generations later, everybody's sitting around the table, the youngsters are going, Mom, Dad, why are you doing that? Well, it's to tell the waiter to take the plate away, but Mom and Dad, there is no waiter. Well, that means you're supposed to know. <laughs> but you see what happens. It feels uncomfortable. It just doesn't feel right. But there, it's... it's it's just a thing. And da the danger that culture gets confused with how we follow Jesus is so real. In fact, Jesus explicitly tells us that following him is going to create discomfort for us. He explicitly tells us that those early Christians in Corinth were feeling uncomfortable. Some of them, I'm pretty sure, those oaks that were saying, I'm with Apollos, were probably mostly Greeks. And so when Apollos preached, he was a Greek. And so they understood his preaching, and they're like, yes, his preaching is awesome, it's deep. Other guys were going, now I'm with Peter. He was a Jew, and they probably were Jewish guys, and they loved the way he preached, because he preached like a Jew, and they got it, and they understood it. And Paul is really upset with them, saying, guys, it can't be like that. And then there are always the spiritual ones. Now, I, I, I follow Christ. <laughs> you know, there's always that one who plays that fancy religious card. And Paul says, you can't even do that. You can't even do that. We have to recognize that all of our cultures, no matter what they are, pose a threat to our following Jesus. I must, I must this morning pick on a particular culture that I think is a particular danger to Christianity. Don't get grumpy with me. It's our white Western culture. And before you run out and say, John's playing the race card, I'm not. This is the reason I think that the white Western culture, the culture that most of us have either grown up in or grown up with is a particular danger. Firstly, it is the culture that's most closely associated with Christianity. 
For our generation, it is the culture that has had the longest history with Christianity. And it is a culture that was immensely influenced positively by Christianity in its early days. And so it's harder for us to untangle what's going on there because it's been with us for so long. Cultures that have been more recently introduced into Christianity don't pose as, they still do, all cultures pose a threat to Christianity. You need to understand that. But we've had this culture for so long. Even completely going to a Scandinavian country is fascinating if you want to study this. Because they have all these churches. Every, have you ever noticed every one of the Scandinavian flags have a cross on it? Every single one, the Swedish, the Danish, all of them. Why? Because they're pointing back to their Christian roots. But they're a completely secularized society, yet so many of the things that they talk about, justice and equality and all of those things, come from their Christian roots. And so our, our and I mean my, white Western culture poses a, a a more than normal threat because it's been interwoven with Christianity for so long. The second reason I think our white Western culture is a particular danger to us and to others is that it is a a culture that is obsessed with individualism. It is a culture that is obsessed with individualism in which the individual is more important than the group. Now, There's nothing inherently wrong with individualism. But when the God who we follow, greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. That, by definition, is a non-individualistic command. You can't fulfill that command on your own. And so when you're part of a culture that says the highest good is what's good for me, it poses a real danger to the idea that we are supposed to love the Lord our God, love our neighbors as much as ourselves, and even love our enemies. There's a third reason I think that our white Western culture is a particular danger, and that is it has become a completely materialistic culture. It is a culture that I think the God of our culture is mammon, money. Now again, there's nothing wrong about with money. But when the idea that God's biggest thing he can do for you is make you rich becomes the thing, your culture is materialistic. When people try to claim that the Bible says capitalism is the Christian way of doing economics. Nonsense. I'm not saying it's the not Christian way. It just can't be defended that this is the way God wanted us to do it. It's in the Bible. It's not. None of those economic systems are in the Bible. The right way of economic, to do economics is with justice and with goodness and with love and with generosity. Capitalism is not in itself sinful, but it is also not in itself Christian. But we live in a world 
where our culture has confused those two things. The last reason I think that our culture is a real and particular danger to the world is that it has become a culture of dominance. It is the culture that is associated with the most taking over of other people's cultures in our world. It hasn't always been like that. It used to be the Roman culture. At one stage in history, it was the barbarian culture. There are all, there have always been cultures that have sought to take over other cultures, but right now, we live in a world where the dominant culture is the Western culture that seeks to take over other cultures. Paul doesn't leave us there. Now that I've whipped all of us, it's not what I want to do. What I want us to do is to realize that there is another way that you can love and celebrate your culture and be grateful for it and have it and be proud of it. But you can also love and celebrate and, and, and interact and have other cultures be part of following Jesus with us and you. Paul goes on in this passage to say, guys, let's get things right. We have to begin to do things God's way and not our way. As these people argued over culture, Jesus, Paul says to them, guys, understand this, that the wisdom isn't going to come from Geneva. It's not gonna come from London, Washington DC, or Beijing, or anywhere else. It's going to come from God. And you and I must allow God to speak to our cultures. We must allow us as God's people to be transformed by the culture of the kingdom of God. You see, the truth is all cultures are there and all cultures are valid. All cultures are there and all cultures are valid because God gave those people a place to live, a society to be in. Now that doesn't mean, well, the next thing is this, that although all cultures are there and they are all valid, all cultures need to be redeemed. All cultures need to be redeemed. Every single one of the cultures that you and I live in, whether it be our overarching culture or some cult, subculture that we live in, it needs to be redeemed. It doesn't need to become another culture. It needs to be, be brought in line with Jesus Christ. It needs to be brought in line with his values and his love and his kingdom. And you know what, we're so good at telling other cultures how they must be redeemed. And if we're willing to do that, I think that's great. But we must be willing to let them tell us. And I had some fantastic conversations this week with people as I was preparing this. Talking to people who honor and respect their ancestors and who love Jesus and talking to them about where the line is for them between worship 
and respect. Talking to people who are hugely wealthy and where the line is for them between greed and using their money the way God wants to. You see, every one of us has things in our culture that must be redeemed. And we need to help one another find out what they are and explore them and allow God to redeem them. Here's the next beautiful thing about cultures. All cultures can also point us to Jesus. Every culture has in it little bits and pieces that help people understand there is Jesus, there is God. There's a book written called Eternity in Their Hearts. It's written by a missionary, and he, he, he has a thesis that all cultures have clues embedded in them. He points out that the Chinese symbol for righteousness, now Chinese language was written long before the Bible was written down, but the Chinese symbol for righteousness is the symbol of a man with a lamb over it. How's that? The Chinese word for righteousness is the symbol for a man with a lamb over it. Now if that's not a picture of God saying every culture, every culture is valid, but every culture needs to be redeemed but every culture can point us to Jesus. Here's how Paul draws a line under it. He says, guys, we can get into this argument, and I know you Jewish guys, because of your culture, you want to be all about the signs that Jesus performed. And I know that you Greek guys, because of your culture, you want all of Christianity to make sense and logical and be awesome, and I know that you guys are fighting with each other about that right now, but I wanna tell you this, that when it comes to our cultures, this is where we must start. We preach Christ and him crucified. Folks, that's where we've got to start. That's where we've got to start. We've got to say to people, folk, we've had an experience with Jesus. We've had an experience with him. And sometimes we express it through fancy hymns and sometimes we express it through weird ways of singing, but, but here is what it's about and here what, is what every single follower of Jesus must be about, whether their skin is this color or that color, whether their culture is this or that, whether they eat this kind of food or that kind of food or think like this or that. Here is the irreducible minimum. We want to show Jesus Christ to the world. He makes no sense to the Jews. He's foolishness to the Greeks. But he's changed the world. He's changed the world. I'm going to invite you to the irreducible minimum. I'm going to invite you to what needs to be the epicenter of our culture. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Whether in our minds we picture that image as, as a white person or a Palestinian person or a black person or a Chinese person, 
it doesn't matter. What matters is that we invite Jesus Christ into our hearts. What matters is that, is that whatever our culture is, it serves Jesus. We're going to do communion